0: torture, a centuries-old practice. When Francis Fukuyama coined the phrase, the end of history, the West, in his view, strode triumphant, demonstrating the virtues of democratic capitalism and the integration of peoples into an open and liberal framework over that of repressive government regimes of the communist bloc. When the war on terror began in 2001, however, the United States, once the self-appointed leader of the free world, managed to demonstrate just how heavy-handed it was willing to be in order to liberate peoples of the world. In U.S.-occupied Iraq, the Abu Ghraib prison served as a focal point for showing the world its willingness to openly use methods of psychological and physical humiliation to perpetuate its dominance. No, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. Military-industrial complex.
1: A new world order. But we are here to destroy the control over the industry of other
2: people. I did not trade arms for hostage. It's
0: been time to
2: Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Nick and I'm joined today by Adam and Hans. How are you guys doing? Good. Doing well. Now, Adam, uh, before we get started, I think you had a few things you'd like to uh, get out of the way.
0: Yeah, uh, a couple people donated on the blockchain uh, or Bitcoin, and these are the wallets, uh, 2MCB, and the second wallet is 18W2. Thank you very much, and as always, anybody who's kind enough to donate, Uh, We are more than happy to send you a copy of Exit Strategy if you would like it. So just please email myth20c at tutanota.com if you would like one. Back to you, Nick.
2: All right, so today we are going to talk about torture. I think I'll start with a very loaded question, which is, is torture Lindy? And for those that don't know, Lindy is a Taleb neologism just describes whether or not a used the example of the, this cafe uh, near Broadway that it was the name of the cafe was Lindy and basically the, the shows that were around and posted at the cafe would be, you could predict that they would be around longer so anything that was around for long enough could be predicted to be around for that much longer, if that makes sense and torture has been around since time immemorial Uh, what do you guys think
0: so is it lindy
2: (laughs) i don't know is that a good thing or a bad thing i mean well that's uh, it's funny you say that because i happen to absolutely hate musicals i think they're aesthetic crimes and they should be outlawed so uh, it (laughs) it's always it's it's kind of a funny funny frame for it but Torture has been around for a long time. And any, any serious discussion of torture invariably brings up the quest- questions like, well, does it work? And I think there's a lot of misconceptions that come with that question. Mm-hmm. Um, my the answer, To answer my own question, torture is the sign of a decadent and declining regime or civilization. Hmm. Interesting. It. It is not, there's no easy answer. We, we will flesh out as to whether or not it's effective because there are certain things torture is very effective for. Uh, there are other things that it's not effective for. Yeah, I and, have a, a lot of, okay, go ahead. Well, in, in addition to this, torture is also, it comes with it a, a karmic cost. And any regime that practices torture in, in a widespread fashion, especially on its own people, Uh, is sowing the seeds of its own demise and there are a number of reasons for that
0: yeah a big part of me you know is is willing to go along with that um you know just sort of my own perspective on it without hearing what you have just said is in in a war i can kind of understand why especially if you're a soldier on the front lines and you capture some guy who just offed you know your officer and you're like, you know, okay, tell us, you know, your and your comrade's positions kind of thing. I wouldn't really morally condemn the guy for trying to get information out of him. But the thing that I've come to understand from people who have actually been in places where they're in the position to know this perhaps more than I am because I've never been in you know, a war war combat zone is that um the information that you get from torture subjects is often uh, not not useful, and so ultimately, it's not so much a actionable intelligence gathering operation. It's more of a psychological uh, scare tactic that seems to intimidate the enemy, if nothing else. And if the enemy is your own people, I would completely agree that your civilization has gone beyond decadent and corrupt, um, if we can add that adjective. But the the sort of other question I have, though, is like, what country? Or nation doesn't do torture realistically. Um, well, I mean, hold Japan that question and, for I mean, like, they're they horrible during the Second World War. Uh, so, like, that give me that a is a complicated
1: question. Yeah, let me, so, let me say let me say something. Uh, torture, from my, from my understanding, has been documented as existing in some way or another all the way back to the first Sumer- Sumerian code, you know, the 21st century BC. There are Egyptian and Mesopotamian drawings and uh, pieces of art that depict corporate punishment and uh, torture and all manner of ways of punishing people very harshly for what we would consider now to be, I guess, misdemeanor crimes. Torture, you know, harsh punishment have been a huge part of humans' civilized, civilized way of life for at least four centuries, if not longer. Uh, if, if you look at Greco-Roman ideals of torture, typically it was reserved for slaves early on. Torture was seen by the Roman military as somewhat ineffective due to the Roman Senates and the Roman uh, Republican government's concern that torture would make it difficult to bring new tribes into the fold. To watch a group of people tortured for no reason would make you very less likely to acclimate to Roman demands, to, to make peace, to go along with the Roman model if you watch several of the people you know and love tortured to death right in front of you, that was seen as a very uh, counterintuitive thing to do. Later on, it, in, to, to what Nick is saying, as Rome declined, torture, sadism, a general lack of appreciation for pain uh, became a very important part of of Rome and you know, of the Roman way of life. The Greeks. Torture to, you know, to, the, to the Greeks, torture was something reserved for special cases in, in very difficult military combat. There are several docu- several I guess, documented cases in the history of the Peloponnesian War by Thucydides of torture, of very, very brutal, uh, vi- you know, sort of village wipeout behavior, and torturous behavior, and very, very brutal guerrilla warfare. Uh, and very brutal scare tactics. Those were all common parts of uh, day, you know, the daily life in those very trying times. But to most people, you know, in, in small isolated incidences, uh, torture was really only reserved for criminals, which I suppose is civilized enough. But I wouldn't say that torture is, is, a, is a new thing. I think that a lot of the Bush-era liberals, unfortunately, really have made torture into you know, some kind of modern phenomena um, and really removed the realities of warfare from people's minds. You know, in war, people get tortured. I can't, think of a, I can't think of a war that I've ever read about where torture was not used at some point. Every great general has tortured people or terrorized people. Charlemagne had 5,000 Saxon defectors slaughtered in front of their families and presumably brutally tortured as well for defying him. Napoleon had people tortured. Every great general in history has had people tortured or psychologically abused. Alexander the Great did it. It's 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 a part of military campaigns. It's a part of corporal punishment. It's not… I don't know. It's not, Hans, uh, you opened up a lot of boxes
2: here that we will be covering. So I, I guess I'll start with, there was a third century Roman jurist named Ulpian, and he had a dictum, which was, the strong can resist torture, and the weak will say anything to end their pain. And to this point, it it is worth delineating between ritualistic execution, corporal punishment, And torture as a tactic of intelligence gathering, which is in the common modern Americanist parlance, usually what people refer to. If you look, for example, at the uh, notorious scumbag and Jew, Alan Dershowitz, who you can these days, uh, much to my chagrin, see on the Tucker Carlson program quite frequently— uh, he was one of the great along with John Yu or some of the great torture apologists of the Bush era and one thing that Dershowitz was fond of was this ticking time bomb example that was basically something right out of the the television program 24 where there's some immediate threat some uh, you know a bomb is about to go off in times square and you have arrested someone who's involved with this plot and If you were to torture them, you could get the information in time to keep the bomb from exploding, right? Uh, Of course, there's a number of fallacies that go with this, not the least of which is the fact that if you had enough intelligence to know who to be nabbing and when and where, meanwhile, as the variables line up, that you get them just at the right time after the bomb has been planted before it goes off, but that you had just enough intelligence to nab them and somehow you know, the remaining blank spaces will be filled out from torture. It's very farcical. I mean, it's a, it's a, the argument of a sophist, of course. Uh, it's worth noting as well, I, some some of our listeners will be familiar with this and other, others maybe have a problem with me mentioning it, but uh, the late deceased Harold Covington in his novels, The White uh, Partisans in the Pacific Northwest, when they're tortured by the FBI, The instrument of torture is affectionately named Dershowitz Needles. So (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. But this was a big thing that was going on for a while in the early 2000s, as the war on terror was ramping up. And the big event, the sort of iceberg event in the America's torture program, was, of course, the images that came out of Abu Ghraib. Now, there was a film that was made by... a a Jewish documentarian named Errol Morris, who I will say I'm a big fan of his work, and on a personal note, I will add that it was actually his film that he made on Fred Lukter that got me interested in Holocaust revisionism many years ago. Uh, And that was, of course, not his intention. Just like it was not his intention when he made the film The Thin Blue Line that someone would be exonerated. There's a lot about his films that, end up being much better than he is as a person because uh, he has a very artful technique that does a lot to personalize the interview in a way that allows for things to organically emerge uh, that he can't entirely control because he chooses the way he does his films it it limits his ability to shape the narrative uh, as can be seen in the in the film about Luther, which i believe is called mr death uh, he, of course, tries to to paint Luke Durant in a certain way as perhaps a crazy person or a sociopath, but his style prevents that from uh, being achieved because he just gives too much room for his subjects of his, of his interviews to humanize themselves. And, I mean, same is true of the film The Fog of War about Robert McNamara, which, uh, though you can see that that's probably his... The bigger hit job that he did, because he gives Robert McNamara enough room to hang himself, and that's what he does. Yet at the same time, uh, it's probably the most anything has ever done to humanize the nerd mass murderer who is Robert McNamara. So I don't know if you guys have. Oh, well, Adam, you said that you did watch the film. Hans, have you seen the film? The film in question, by the way, is is called Standard Operating Procedure, and it's about the the subject of the film is Abu Ghraib, but really it's about the uh, several of the participants that are comprised the MPs and the military intelligence as well as the their commanding officer uh, a woman commanding officer same i think kowalski or something to that yeah, effect. Polish. Uh, yeah she's a she plays a significant part in the story but um adam you, you saw the film uh, do you have any impressions from it
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's kind of interesting how it's constructed. You're basically just thrown into the fray of these people talking and they're just giving their personal accounts. And it's, um, it's an interesting stylistic choice in that he doesn't have too much narration. It's basically just them giving their actual perspectives and you can kind of piece together like an investigator might have to, what is actually going on. Uh, and what's, what's also kind of interesting is that there's a lot of, um, a lot of personal drama that you have to deal with and, and individual people's trauma and biases that you have to kind of extract out of the facts themselves, uh, to get at what is going on. But the picture that emerges from after seeing all the sort of people talking who are on the ground, talking about this stuff is that these are the people that were basically prosecuted for, the ostensible crimes of violating standard operating procedure, which is how they conduct uh, legal interrogation in the military. And from the photographic evidence, primarily that was presented by a couple of the girls that were taking a lot of pictures, uh, they, 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 when they leaked or those pictures were leaked by someone, uh, they're either used as the fall people or they're the, they can be interpreted as the main, you know, responsible parties. And and like they didn't, they were just following orders, quote unquote, but they didn't actually stand up to it. Why didn't you stand up to it? And you can hear various people's attempts to kind of rationalize what was going on. I mean, the, the black guy was basically saying, you know, this guy was basically trying to kill us. You know, we're, we're hearing mortars go off on the roof every day and we're trying to deal with this. And then you have other people saying things like, well, um, you know, I, I'm always, I'm a nice guy, you know, I just follow orders. I don't want to make people upset kind of thing. And then there's just uh, people who are doing things because they're in a relationship. I mean, it's fascinating to see how people do things and why they do things. I didn't get any, the people that were interviewed, at least, I didn't get any sort of sense of malice towards the Iraqis per se, but they did talk very negatively about the people who were doing things like that. In particular, uh, the guys, I wrote it down, but basically the, the guy who got the biggest sentence um, was the guy that seemed to be the, the guy enjoying the torture the most. You're talking
2: about Grainer. Grainer, yeah. thank you, yes. He's, and... He got out of prison, I think, a couple of years of shit. We're in 2019 now. Uh, he was out last night, like 2014. Mm-hmm. See, see, I saw the film when it came out, and uh, at the time, I, I had, I didn't know as much then as I know now, and I will say... Do you, I mean, I imagine you guys remember when initially these photos were uh, leaked yeah. back in the day. <laughs> to be honest, when I first saw them, I'm
0: like, is that it? Who fucking cares? I mean, he's standing on a box. Like, give me a fucking break. But, you know, the stuff in the it, film it, does make it look worse. I, I well, no, it you know shows
2: it. you don't exactly. And I, I, I don't mean this offensively. It's because I, I didn't understand this either. But uh,
1: it shows you don't know much about torture. Uh, it. Wasn't it Seymour Hirsch who was involved in the early days of those?
2: See Hans, you're 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 a step ahead of me. Is you're always doing this to me, man. It so because this is going to bring us back. If listeners remember, we did an episode a little while back where I discussed the Phoenix program, and I postulated uh, that Seymour Hirsch is a, it, and I'm not the first to do this. Uh, C. Edmonds uh, calls him CIA more Hirsch. And I I postulate that Hirsch is basically the figure that the that the company uses to leak. So he has privileged access uh, on the understanding that he he can appear to break stories uh, as you know the the archetypical good journalist uh, and perform the role of strategic leaks and limited hangouts.
1: Yeah, and, he, what's he's never got. I realized this the other day with all this ongoing drama revolving around assange he's never gotten the julian assange treatment nope has has seymour hirsch ever been publicly uh, called out by members of congress or the u.s justice department has anyone ever tried to indict him
2: no he's he's a protected man and he
1: has the highest he has the highest level sources that's a good example hans yeah of the the
2: that kind of that's a it's a great example. He, he, Similarly, yeah, I mean, Hans, it's interesting that he has not had very little to say about Assange, as far as I'm aware.
1: Well, I, don't, I don't think he cares. <laughs> but what I remember, honestly, when Abu Ghraib first broke, I, I really wasn't even a teenager yet. So hmm. I remember seeing the photos as a kid um, on the news. And to be honest, I it didn't really have much of an effect on me. I think Adam's right. It's just a guy in a box or, you know, it's a guy being scared by some German shepherds on leashes, you know, whatever. Right.
0: Big deal. You know, you go for a run and dogs, you know, bark at you. I mean, now there was a case where the guy was bit and the guy was punished for that. So the other thing is like, if you watch this whole thing, it's like, okay, you get the impression that like these guys are doing stuff that is really rotten per se, but I mean, they're in a prison where Saddam killed thirty thousand people allegedly, and the shit that the the Arabs do to each other. I mean, after we went in there and blew the blew the stack off the power structure there, they a million people died, and it wasn't Americans shooting a million people; it was Iraqis shooting each other. And I'm not saying you know, well, and general infrastructure know. failure as well. Sure, and I'm not the chaos. done I'm not by the I'm destruction not, of not the Iraqis. Any of this, I'm just saying, you know, America typically by people who don't like, you know, certain people in the power structure use things like this as an opportunity to attack them. And that's how I honestly, when it came out, that's how I saw it. I was like, okay, the left is basically trying to get a push. They don't really give a shit about these people. Well, this is why I ask,
2: because there's so much more to the story. And I was curious what your impressions were when it happened, because I'm very glad Hans brought up Seymour Hersh, because I, for example... Uh, have a lot of suspicion. So when you when I rewatched that film recently, having studied uh, the history of the United States torture programs more in the interim, uh, I realized some very interesting things that were going on. Uh, first, the first question that comes up is, of course, why exactly was this leaked? Who leaked this? Well, the answer, I mean, it, it was leaked by a specific individual by a young, you know, MP. And he brought it to the criminal investigation division at Abu Ghraib. Okay, and from there, it magically ends up uh, on CBS, as if the military doesn't have the ability to suppress something like this. And furthermore, uh, and this is something I think I'll probably get into a bit more later, but I'll just I'll just I'll just come out and say what I my suspicions about what what was happening at Abu Ghraib, and then I'll go back and I'll tell the history as best I can of the United States torture programs to put it into context. Uh, And what's her name? Uh, Kowalski. I I apologize I didn't write. uh, Oh, here, no, it's Karpinski. I'm sorry. There you go. Karpinski. That was her name. She was the commanding officer of the MPs. Okay. So, she even said, uh, and this is a quote from her, she said that she did not see six or seven bad apples among her MPs, but six or seven individuals who may have been specifically selected. Now, if you watch the film, you'll notice, of course, the heavy uh, presence of women. And among women, of course, you have the typical uh, dog-faced lesbian types. As yeah, I was going to well as... say
0: tackle-faced, but yes... Very yeah, good so what, what you're
2: dealing with are people who clearly fit the bill of already being psychologically damaged individuals to begin with, as well as that young Negro named, like, his name is literally, like, Jarval. Honestly, that guy and I the, thought was the most coherent of all of them, to be honest. Well, they me. do a good job. Uh, their, their race does a, does a good job, actually, of coping with, with traumatic childhood trauma. Oh, sure. Uh, but what these people do is they they do fit a bill of people who themselves appear to be very psychologically malleable and damaged people going into it. I mean, just the mere fact of a woman uh, ending up an American woman ending no, up yeah. working in a prison in Iraq. It's so uh, says something about where she comes from. That was one of the okay. first visceral
0: reactions I had to the film. It's like, why are these women there? I mean, we know why, but it's
2: just, well, I there remember... are a couple of reasons why Adam it's. And cause you mentioned the dogs too. And I, I kind of wanted to slowly get into this, but one aspect of it was that the methods used by the American uh, state, or more, I guess more specifically the intelligence services, uh, started to adapt later at the tail end of the Cold War and moving into the Desert Wars. They started to adapt their techniques to the culture that they're dealing with. So the presence of dogs and women were, of course, specifically targeted. Uh, to Arab men who, of course, come from a very patriarchal they, religious They make society. that
0: argument in the film about why women were used for interrogations, but I don't think that's why they're in the military. I mean, that, that was something that was long-running since the 80s, late 80s at least. Um, that, that was That's just the byproduct of feminism and the, the general cultural Marxism that we've all, I think, been subjected to. Uh, the fact that they used them in that tactical it, instance, I think, is correct. Though. Yes, it, but... It,
2: it goes deeper than feminism as far as I mean, I don't want to get on too far a rabbit hole, but uh, it also has its own putting men under command of women engenders sure. a higher sure. degree of submission to the American state. Yeah. Uh, and to well, its Well they make that point ideology. about what
0: it what it does to the Arabs, but you're right. It does that to Westerners as well. I mean it's it's a Yeah, very, and you notice
2: and this yeah. is something I've noticed my entire life and it's always bugged me, but I've uh, to try and put words on it, there's a certain language. I don't know, if you ever talked there's a There's an interesting phenomenon where if you talk to, uh, I've talked to both, you know, ex-cons and uh, COs, as well as, of course, you know, cops and other pigs of the system. And they speak the exact same language. Uh, There's a certain language when you're institutionalized in America, be it you're institutionalized in the American military, institutionalized in the American uh, prison gulag system, uh, you're on either side of the fence. You start to talk the same way, and there's certain hallmarks of this language. You may call it systemese uh, or in the institutionalized American tongue. And you'll notice things, for instance, they'll never use the word woman. They will always describe women as females. Uh, they also use this bizarre—their use of the term individual always has this bizarre euphemism to it, where they you could be dealing with obvious group of men, and you would not say those men over there, you would say those individuals over there. And it's the imprint on their minds of the system, and I. This gets to where I'm going to go with this on a broader sense, and because one of to boldly go where the,
0: no one has gone before. Same thing, used to be where no man has gone before in the original. Some soundtrack. some
2: people listening will know exactly what I'm talking about. If you have I'll I'll just leave it at that. Some of you will get it. Some of you won't. Doesn't matter because I'm going to go on with what I have to say here, which is. Uh, they, they mentioned at one point, which was very revealing, they said, uh, as things escalated, they, they did escalate. They explained their reasons why they escalated. But they would say things like, we didn't touch them. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't torture. It wasn't, and one of the women says, it's not like we were cutting off their heads. And I, what I believe happened was that Abu Ghraib uh, had parallel operations running. Uh, and they mentioned this, of course, that you had the OGA's, the other government agencies, um, CIA, DIA, yeah, and FBI, that. coming in and doing things that were separate. In fact, uh, while the military intelligence would be interrogating the prisoners that the MPs were handling and preparing and, you know, euphemistically softening up for interrogation, Uh, When in reality, the the thing is, these kids, what they didn't understand is what they were doing was not preparing for for interrogation, which is interrogation itself is euphemism for torture. They were doing the torturing. They didn't understand this, but what they were doing was the exact CIA playbook that had been around for 60 years, or I guess at that time, 40 years. What what is that exactly? Uh, Well, this is what I'll get into. I will explain how this works, but there what they were doing was precise out of the handbooks of, of CIA torture. And they didn't understand these things. They didn't understand, for example, why they were taking pictures either. And I have my own theories as to why they might have been taking pictures beyond what the ostensible higher level it, explanation was. It was my was, understanding they, that
0: they were not. They were told not to do that. So you're saying that somebody else told them Oh, to they to were do told it? to
2: do that. They, the film doesn't exactly explain this. Uh, they were being, one of them was, I think they were selected, and they were selected for the purposes of a psychological experiment as well as potentially the deliberate creation of a scandal. Um, but one of them told, I believe it was uh, Grainer, who was telling them to take the pictures. The purpose of the pictures uh, would be to show to other uh, incoming detainees or prisoners. that That's the purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least, and they didn't know this. Uh, I, I think another possible higher than that explanation would of course be for the scandal itself Uh, that's speculation on my part but part of the reason that i think this is they weren't dealing with what they were involved with i i think was a glorified uh stanford prison experiment 2.0 nothing that they were doing was uh Unpredictable. the The environment was set up exactly for their behavior. This was established in the Milgram experiments that they. It was known exactly what they were going to do. They were put in a high stress environment with uh, mortars going off, and they were told things like they would be told, for example, this Iraqi over here he, he raped a teenager. This kinds. Of, how do they know that this is true? They were just told this. And I'm not. Th- this is me speculating, but what I will. What I will demonstrate is the techniques that were being used were the old cia playbook for torture and the way that we can start with this is begins of course in the early cold war with mk ultra the cia torture handbook came out came out of the mk ultra programs which of course were initially you had project bluebird which was testing drugs on soldiers and by the thousands of places like the uh, Edgewood uh, Chemical Arsenal in Maryland.
1: Well, you had and, a, a Kubark interrogation manual. Right? Well, I'm
2: getting to I'm getting to Kubark. This this is where this is where correct. This is where Kubark comes from. So it starts with Bluebird and Artichoke. Uh, Bluebird is focused on the drugs and the various hypnosis techniques, uh, because at the time you have to the presence of the the Soviet Union was being used as a. Rationalization for all types of expanding covert operations and uh, people were impressed by the ability they they believed that the Soviets had some kind of advanced brainwashing technology. Uh, This was a common belief at the time in the 50s that they had it was a remarkable new science of of mind control and brainwashing and that a lot of the stuff that was the auspices on which a lot of this stuff was funded. The reality, of course, is the Soviets were using very traditional police methods of of just standard beatings and abuse. I mean, it, there wasn't anything scientific about it. It was effective because it is effective uh, again, at certain things. For example, one thing that torture is a, is a very effective at is false confessions. And so the liberal the well-intentioned liberal humanist type who's criticizing this, especially one who Uh, isn't prone to what maybe some of our critics might refer to as conspiracy theory, they would say, well, what need would the liberal state ever have for false confessions? And I would say, well, look at Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. But that's for later. So you had Bluebird and Artichoke, and Artichoke was uh, using American subjects. It was put under the CIA's Office of Scientific Intelligence. And they did things like uh, leave people on LSD Uh, constant LSD dose for uh, 77 days. Uh, This is where they tried out things like sodium pentothal, various chemical hypnotic techniques, and this was done in cooperation uh, with the Army and with the Navy. And the Navy uh, in particular is relevant because this is one thing that the Office of Naval Research was up to in the 1950s and had a big influence in the academic establishment because In 1953, these two programs and their various offshoots were brought under MKUltra. That's what MKUltra was. It was the consolidation umbrella of these operations, as well as a synthesis with the uh, American academic establishment, which is where all the great world poisons come from. And you had, of course, Sidney Gottlieb was put in charge of the scientific research, and it was under Richard Helms. Uh, Dulles was, of course, still head at the time. But they found that drugs were not very effective uh, when all is said and done. And they put out, in speaking of the education complex, the way this worked is the Office of Naval Research, they put out, um, I think it was 117 contracts at 58 American universities. And this was done through the Ford Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation and people who cooperated with this various academic psychologists and and by the way the APA both APAs mind you there are two there's the American Psychological Association as well as the American Psychiatric Association the APAs were complicit in this at the beginning and the APA by the way was involved in the 1940s as well through their division of military psychology american university was a key component of this they had the bureau of social science research and a few key discoveries were made at this time so you had uh, dr. Donald her error he who was a uh, he was a leaf and for our listeners just remember when people say that Canadians have never contributed anything to uh, America or Western civilization even in its perverse late stage here uh, just remember that Canadians actually contributed heavily to advanced torture techniques uh, in fact they were pioneers in the field so Hebb he he found that sensory deprivation uh, was the avenue of research that was most fruitful. And you had other people uh, such as uh, Albert Biderman, Irving Janis, Harold Wolf, uh, Lawrence Hinkle, who uh, worked on things of a similar vein. And these were their research is where the two key pillars came from of the American torture doctrine. And they were found to be, through empirical testing, the most effective ways of—we uh, uh, should say what effective means, because th- this does get into the murky territories—effective at breaking a personality, uh, effective at rendering personality regression, and in the process of doing so, creating a emotional tie and sympathetic connection with your torture. Uh, this, this is what was learned— because this, reminds you, this was not from the auspices of how do we extract information. This was under the auspices of how do we control the human mind and human behavior, and the most effective way to do this was found to be these two pillars that will be present all the way up into Abu Ghraib, which is sensory deprivation, self-inflicted pain. Those are, those are the two key pillars of an effective torture, and more effective than drugs, more effective than beating sensory deprivation they found that people deprived and total sensory deprivation that is uh, tactile deprivation, audio deprivation as well as uh, temporal deprivation and temporal manipulation. the technique that we'll get into is the manipulation of clocks, uh, the manipulation of meal time, uh, the random interruption of sleep, not just for sleep deprivation, mind you, which was of also useful but in order to create temporal uh, temporal disorientation. So you so said the, would, the measure of success is if they can break you? Is that what you said? If they can create meaningful personality regression. So you become infantile? You become Yeah, you become obedient. weak-willed and extremely malleable, correct. Right. Yes.
0: Okay, so it's not measured on information extraction. It's measured on controllability
2: of the subject. Well, this is before, again to remind the listeners as well uh, i'm talking about the early stages of this which is mk ultra the the plans for this were much more grandiose right 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 okay. they were talking trying to figure control. out to what extent you, you could you could engineer an individual human personality and to what extent you could do this on a mass scale mm-hmm. uh, these were very ambitious things but in the process they learned some very basic things about human psychology uh, just from my own understanding of this, let me, let me put it this way. So torture, put aside if you want information or you want a confession or whatever. Let's just, just keep, we'll keep it simple. We'll say, what are you doing when you torture someone? What is the real goal? What is the object of the torture? If you're pulling out fingernails, if you're breaking kneecaps, if you're hanging somebody from a rope or what have you. The object is, of course, not the body. The object is the mind. And pain, physical pain, is an indirect method to get to the mind. Whereas a a psychic attack, a pure psychic attack, one that relies on the organs of the mind, namely the senses, uh, is a more direct approach than physical pain. In fact, physical pain, the reason it's effective at all, has much more to do with the threat of physical pain rather than the pain itself. In fact, pain, when administered, can actually have the adverse effect of hardening the subject's resistance to you because the subject is aware that the pain is externally based. hence self-inflicted pain as the second pillar. If you can get create a situation where the pain which weakens the mind and weakens the will, uh, if you can make that pain something that is caused by the subject rather than by the torturer, then you do two things at once you you break that external uh, relationship where the, 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 source of the pain is from outside themselves and they no longer have the same will to resist as well as you can better establish the rapport that you want to create that sort of Stockholm syndrome type relationship where they call out to the torture as their savior. Right. Which is why a common necessary technique when pain is administered in a, in a correctly, in a, in a correctly done torture setting, uh, the, the torturer always must preface the administering of pain with things like i shouldn't have had i don't want to do this this hurts me to do this i i just want to help you this kind of thing right Uh, i'm a little unclear on what self-inflicted pain in your
0: so when you see the
2: images of the hooded iraqis uh, standing with their arms extended Mm -hmm. um well his arms gets hired kind of thing
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, your arms could break. No, no, I I get it. But the, uh, so that's what you're talking about. So you're basically, you're you're straining yourself to basically avoid something. Yeah, you're put
2: into a stress position. And in that stress, yeah. Yeah. But you're not, this is the difference, though, between you could be shackled in a stress position or you could be told to be in a stress position. Mm -hmm. Uh, The self inflicted pain is when you're you comply and you put yourself in a stressed position. So so what I learned from the film,
0: because I never understood why this guy was standing there, but what he was apparently told, uh, the guy with the sandbag over his head with the wires hooked up to him, he kind of looks like a, I don't know, like a Jesus or, wit, or kind of a weird witch kind of thing on a cardboard box. He's doing that because apparently he was told that if he falls off the box, uh, the floor is electrocuted and those wires will basically the, the the circuit will be closed and, and he will die from electrocution. And so they were doing several things. Apparently this uh, sort of self-inflicted pain through stress, uh, torture was, was being done. And also uh, it keeps him awake because the fear of obviously falling asleep and falling on the floor is pretty strong. And so it screws up your ability to be alert because you're sleep deprived. So,
2: Yeah, the, re- the way that you get someone into a stress position to create self-inflicted pain is by use of fear. Uh, In the case that you mentioned, the fear was the lie that his uh, hands were hooked up to electrical wires and that he would electrocute himself if his hands were to drop. Now there is another lesson learned that applies to Abu Ghraib that came out of this time with the early MKUltra experimentation. And that is of course something I think most people are familiar with, which is the Milgram experiments. Now, we don't have the documentation to prove without a doubt that this was a CIA-funded uh, program. However, the, to my mind, the circumstantial evidence leaves very little to doubt that that was exactly the case. Uh, suffice to say, Stanley Milgram himself had a very cushy relationship with the Office of Naval Research, and the context and time in which this occurred is highly indicative of exactly uh, these programs. So... What we learned from the Milgram experiment is, of course, that uh, almost anyone can torture. Right? It's easy to turn someone into a torture, albeit. Then uh, this is something I, I first noticed many, many years ago when I was first became aware of the Milgram experiments, which is that there is a self selecting sample of people who are willing to cooperate with institutional <laughs> activities. <laughs> you, you know, pe- there are certain people who would just not cooperate with this at all. I'm, and these people would be less inclined to do exactly as the man in the white coat says. Uh, I will just add that I don't think the exact correct conclusion is that anyone. I would say any lemming is capable of this, and certainly any dogs of the system are capable of this. Uh, and then you also had yeah uh, <laughs> John C Lilly, who is is famous for his his dolphin stuff. <laughs> you, know, you guys ever see Day with the Dolphin? Uh, but John C Lilly was—he dropped out of a lot of the stuff because he didn't like what was going. But he, the sensory deprivation tank, I think, uh, really his father is John C Lilly, and it's kind of interesting. You have people—I know that uh, the popular uh, podcaster uh, slash former host of Fear Factor, Joe uh, Rogan—he he owns one of these things, and it's kind of an interesting parallel to LSD. It's like this stuff is created. Uh, and funded to be used in military and social control applications, and then you have like hobbyists who who drop acid and spend like an hour or two a day in a sensory deprivation. Well, tank. But, okay, but I think most
0: of what he does in that is without the acid. I'm sure he has done acid. No, but... I
2: meant those. I'm comparing the two, like mm-hmm. Joe Rogan using a sensory deprivation tank, or just your average. He's you just know, meditating. That's what he's trying to do. Yeah, well, that is a thing uh, to be said that. These techniques, somebody who is adept at meditation uh, would have a lot more resistance to this form of torture. But your average person, uh, this, is, this will get them screaming for the wall quicker than physical punishment. Or rather, physical torture, I should say. It, that, I mean, this was, this is what they found. This was empirically validated that this was the more effective approach. Now that's not to say that a fusion of the two is not uh, also uh, very effective in fact it's probably I'll, I'll get into this but just some other figures lurking in the background here. oh you also had the, the infamous dr. Ewan Cameron this is where he had his psychic driving experiments uh, so you put people in drug coma and then you basically tape messages into their into their brain you, you put them on a, like a football helmet or whatever and you you play these messages nonstop, usually stuff like your mother hates you or you want to have sex with your mother. Uh, these were the, the typical choices for the messaging, and they would be played nonstop on loop. It was known as psychic driving. Uh, and he, he got his funding to use uh, some do some very unethical experimentation at the Allen Memorial and at, at McGill, which is funded by the CIA. And there's a front. CIA organization that the funded, which is the Society for the Investigation of Human Ecology. Human ecology, by the way, is typically a euphemism for things that glow in the dark, just so you know. Uh, and then you had deep Wait, What? Radiation? What what are you talking about? Glow human in the dark. ecology.
0: What what glows in the dark?
2: Oh, the oh, it, it's it's meme speak. I'm just referring to it. <laughs> Oh.
0: I'm picturing some like Monty Burns like uh, barrel of radioactivity. Like I don't, I, I
2: couldn't quite understand what you're talking no, about. No, there was a there was a great counterculture that. hero of our of our here, Hans. Why don't you explain to Adam what I mean?
1: No, I mean, I thought we were all in the know about that meme. I swear we've used it internally a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know. At this point, honestly, are. guys, I uh, am becoming. Did you kind just of... think we were talking about radioactivity for the last two years? <laughs> I don't remember you used it. I,
0: I'll take the boomer crown though. I mean, it's like I—I'm kind of trying to disconnect from this internet garbage to a degree. I mean, it, it, you can't get away from it if you want to know what's going on. But I—I <laughs> I got other shit to do, guys. It's like so you can red pill me on what this means if real quick, if you don't mind.
2: Uh, Terry Davis is a great folk hero of our of our time, and he sadly passed away recently. Probably yeah, I know him, him so. but he, hes the one who's using this. Yeah, she so okay. referred to the CIA niggers who glow in the dark. <laughs> okay, thank you. You hit them with your car,
1: you know? Like, if you're driving and you see someone... I think in- the, the best one was when some kid was eyeballing him with the DMV and he was tweeting out, this eight-year-old glow-in-the-dark CIA nigger won't stop looking at me. I'm going to put a gun to his head or so, something like that. And Yeah. We can cut this, but Adam, that's whenever we say glow in the dark, we basically mean like CIA agent. But yeah,
2: you, it's your discretion, Adam, if you want to leave it in or not. So then it, you Adam. have deep patterning which is a similar... <laughs> another technique came out of this, which is you start... It's a three-tier process where... Uh, and this was what Ewan Cameron was uh, able to do. He used... Um, and much has been said about MKUltra as far as who was being used for subjects. Uh, in this case, th- this is probably the peak of its uh, dubious, well, I mean, the peak of perfidious and uh, unethical behavior, which was, in this case, he had access to the Allen Memorial Hospital. It was a mental hospital attached to McGill University. And so you had people coming in, like average housewives and things like this, who just had. Uh, depression or some pr- problem, and they were seeking some uh, help for this. And what would next? What would happen is they would be subject to what I'm about to explain. And but this got declassified in like the '80s, and there were lawsuits over. And most of these, I think there were like nine plaintiffs who ended up uh, suing, and they got paid hush money of like seven hundred fifty thousand each. Which uh, you decide if that was just based on what I'm about to say, which is. The way that these experiments work, the depatterning patterning process. So first, you're put into an 86-day drug coma. Second, three times a day electroshock therapy for 30 days. Third, the football helmet with the messages that I mentioned for 21 days. Um, this stuff came to a close around 63, largely because it didn't, the things, the things that were of value were already learned, and it wasn't really going anywhere further. Uh, so, in '63, you had what Hans had mentioned earlier, which is the Kubark Counterintelligence Interrogation Handbook, and the centerpieces of of the Kubark uh, Handbook were sensory deprivation, temporal deprivation, and self inflicted pain. Now, this had a number of advantages as far as uh, field application, because of course, it, unlike other forms of more primitive torture, it didn't leave visible scars. However, it left scars that were actually worse than uh, being maimed and and having your fingernails pulled out. They last longer, they're more traumatic, and there's other other problems that come with. One one thing that can happen when this is done to you is you can develop. I forget the the, the psychiatric medical term for it, but you develop this issue where you can not recognize human face patterns. Uh, That's a common
1: one. Something striking about a lot of this is that it seems like after the late fifties, early sixties, there's really a push towards I suppose more sophisticated forms of torture that are less physical in nature seems to be more about psychological torture, psychological infantilization,
2: bringing, well, on, I,
1: bringing in a sense it of malleability. It leaves less of a trail, man. Earlier.
2: Of course. So it, it's so as I explained earlier, though. It's it's a it's a more direct route it, to the psyche. Right. The, Where the mind is the object of physical torture, and this this cuts cuts the unnecessary use of uh, sometimes counterproductive of use of physical methods uh, and goes right to the heart of, of what you're really I doing. I totally which is-
0: believe that. I also think, though, and this is the contrast with the American empire and the sort of canonical, heavy-handed Soviet-style empire system, is that the American system is to fool you into thinking you're free and, frankly, to fool other people uh, that you're free, too. Because if you have just told somebody—I I literally— have met a couple of people like this who you they're homeless oftentimes and you find them in public parks and they'll come up to you and start telling you about how you know the cia used to drug people and grab them and, and do all this stuff and I, i'm pretty sure most people would uh would consider this guy nuts okay and i actually mm-hmm. said uh, oh actually i have heard of that and he actually that one of these guys he um he got uh, he got really aggressive with me. He thought I was a he was like a he thought I was a spook. He thought you glue in out. the dark. Yeah, and uh, so I can learn. I just hadn't heard that before. But um, <laughs> <You can learn. laughs> and uh, it, it, that's how people get away with shit. I mean, the Clintons, for God's sakes. I mean, you know, Vince Foster. You know, was sort of the big thing in the '90s. But since then, I mean, Seth Rich. I mean, people just kind of push these things under the rug, or they they kind of explain it and rationalize it away if they don't have direct obvious evidence we talked to tom sunik last uh last time and he basically told us you knew who the communists were you knew who the bastards were and he said the thing that scared him about america was that you couldn't tell who your enemy was and i think that's intentional
1: i'm thinking american let me say i'm thinking about uh what you mentioned about the soviets never trying to really institute the sense that you, you were perhaps free. They were they were so much more I guess crude in a lot of ways. they were I'm more thinking crude. Of, I am well I'm thinking of uh, a lot of the early incidences of of public outcry towards torture actually come at the the cusp of you know the beginning of the American Empire in the late nineteenth century, early twentieth century. Theodore Roosevelt was basically Lambasted in the papers and, and, and popular circles, uh, in or I say is more elite circles really, due to his uh, alleged support support for torture with uh, military torture within the Philippines, uh, and he had also personally overseen torture during the Spanish American War. Uh, there were accusations of torture uh, by the Americans against people like Smedley Butler. We, I wish we talked about this in the Smedley Butler episode. Uh, you know, he was a professional, uh, sort of, American Empire arsonist in his early days, and he, you know, he would go around to a lot of these key locations and perform all sorts of what I think we would consider now, in the modern parlance, war crimes, uh, very sadistic treatment of locals, uh, sort of put down operations. There were even accusations of torture throughout the Prohibition era. There was that, you know, the Wickersham Committee, or Wickersham Report, I believe it was called, was basically an attempt to ameliorate a lot of growing public resentment towards Prohibition authorities due to widespread accusations and allegations that they were engaging in very sadistic physical violence. But the, The key point I'm trying to make is a lot of this was, Physical, psychological manipulation wasn't really quite there yet. A lot of the it seems like a lot of the early American Empire choices in terms of instituting a sense of terror amongst populations, foreign and domestic, uh, was just physical violence: was you know, beating you up, stabbing you, threatening your family. Very, very crude, very direct. And it had very little effect. It didn't work, and just it pissed people off. All it did in prohibition was piss people off, and it rendered the pro-prohibition side, which at one point had been something like 70% of the population was in favor of prohibition, it rendered them to a 15% approval due to the widespread – and in some some cases due to the widespread – uh, torture and violence that prohibition authorities were inflicting on, you know, sort of everyday people. If and, I and may it add, had, though— It had it no was... effect—well, it had no effect in the Philippines. In fact, it just mm. permanently pissed off everyone in the Philippines towards the United States. And it had very little effect in, in Central America. And a lot of those coups and, and operations that Butler and uh, and his crew were involved in, with the United Fruit Corporation— A lot of that had a very poor, lasting impact, those sort of crude torture methods.
2: It's funny you mention Latin America and the Philippines because that's about to figure into what I'm going to get into next, but in the later 20th century rather than the early. this, This is interesting. I will add, as far as you, Adam, I think, was mentioning Rome earlier, and the Romans understood this, which is one of the great laws of power, is that it is always better for men to choose to submit than to be forced into submission out of fear uh, that, if you're playing if you're trying to build a lasting empire this is always superior especially when you represent a true elite of a higher order and you, you represent you have reason to um, earn the respect and the love of people because you are superior rather than you are a petty uh, half child tyrant flailing around and chopping off limbs and Better to be loved uh, than feared, huh? It is always better to be loved than feared. And as far as what Hans, because Hans is again on point, uh, yes, they were going for this non physical approach. However, that changed. And what changed was the Vietnam War. And I had discussed uh, a good bit, I think, about Phoenix a little a couple weeks back. I don't know. Episodes called Kill Anything That Moves. And in Phoenix, what you see is the, the hybrid, hybridization of, of this process because uh, they were killing you know some 20,000 people under the auspices of the, the Phoenix program and targeted assassinations, and then they would uh, do summary executions after torturing people. And then they would make use of various criminals, various Vietnamese criminals, and American criminals at that. And they learned a lot in the process too. there was, War provides, especially the modern war, provides a lot of opportunity, especially now that you have this psychological academic complex uh, for research. it It's a laboratory. And you're not just studying human responses to pain and domination and abuse. You're also studying the torturers themselves. A lot is learned in these, in these places. And Phoenix, uh, they, the violent techniques... They they were trying to apply the the new techniques. However, you're dealing with the Vietnamese themselves who are applying. So they're still doing the raping and the, the dismemberment and this kind of thing. Uh, but now it's being uh, improved. So you get the hybrid version where the psychological goals are better understood and the psychological techniques are better understood. But, of course, the cruelty and the sadism uh, comes out as well. And what came out of that was something that we still don't know what it's called. Uh, But, I mean, they sent, by the way, I should add, depending on sent spooks. I mean, there were things done in in Vietnam under Phoenix, like they would do things like they uh, put electrodes in people's brains and they would press buttons that would cause them to shit and to vomit, as well as to they tried to see if they could turn people into, you know, killing automatons They with these electrodes. They would put knives in their hands and see if they could get them to kill each other. The later one, I don't think actually worked very well. But this is again where you see this parallel. I'm still very glad Hans brought up Seymour Hirsch because I I think I mentioned this before in the previous episode. But uh, the Phoenix came out because of this is how Hirsch made his career, right? Was the expose on Phoenix. And Colby now is at the helm of the CIA. And Colby understood some things that his predecessors didn't, which is stonewalling is less effective. It it was stonewalling that led to the church committee. But Colby understood that the real way to approach this is by feeding enough information and creating a limited hangout. And that is far more effective because when you're committing widespread terror uh, and assassination and you're doing things like this— One way or another, it's going to come out, especially when you have all these GIs coming home. So it's best to control it. Use your media organs to do it.
0: Well, it's the story of the scapegoat. I mean, that's what these guys were. The people being interviewed largely seem to be
2: very low-ranking individuals. You're talking about Abu Ghraib? Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. I'm trying to draw the parallel there, and it's very interesting that Hirsch comes up again with this. Because it's not just about Abu Ghraib. I mean, Abu Ghraib is just the tip of the iceberg. And if anything, it's I think it was dangled there on purpose, because there's no reason that this had to be done. At this point, the CIA, CIA had black sites all over the world. I mean, you had they could take people to Thailand. They could go to Afghanistan or other than Iraq, where you had full CIA control. There was a the, lot of them the in, uh, in Egypt. It was Eastern uh, Europe, Egypt. Well, they didn't control—Egypt— So places like Egypt and Syria, Jordan, Morocco, Uzbekistan, whatever, these are places where you have more of that uh, partnership, like in Phoenix and Vietnam, where you had the locals who were doing a lot of this and created plausible in Latin America and in the Philippines, uh, where it was the locals who did this, but they were using CIA techniques and they had CIA advisors, whereas the actual the ones we know of, the actual Full CIA black sites that are run entirely by Americans, and I mean they probably have some Israelis there as well. Or uh, we know Thailand, Afghanistan, uh, Diego Garcia Island? Are we going to get zogged by the way for this one? I mean, no. if we know about Part it, of this I doubt knowledge. it's that sensitive. Uh, okay, yeah, this is public knowledge, and yeah,
1: Eastern yeah. Europe. Well, and one then, of, of course, the ones you- I know that they used, freak, or they used Romania and Lithuania frequently yeah and, and then I, you can't, have camp. I can't remember the exact reason why, but there was some legal loophole that particularly the Bush administration, their, uh, you know W I should say, uh, figured out. it was it was this this group of guys, including John Yu and some other ones who uh, who all sort of narrowly escaped prosecution. Uh, but all all these lawyers for the, the uh, you know the W administration basically determined that there were certain countries that hadn't signed certain clauses of various EU or UN directorates regarding human rights or torture.
2: Yeah, it was the, it was the UN stuff and it was the Vienna, right?
1: I'll right. get in
2: this, this will come up. I'll, I'll get into this stuff because there were some changing dynamics at work here. But as for Abu Ghraib, just to emphasize the point, uh, none of, it was not necessary to put any of this under the army i think it was done on purpose it's the only explanation personally that i can that i can find because i mean this is the whole reason that camp echo exists at guantanamo bay like, th- you don't need i mean th- th- to put but them it, under regular just army who like- have their own uniform code of justice uh-huh. that it was actually stricter mind you than the official uh, united states government position that would apply to uh, intelligence bureaucracies the un- army and this this Came out of the '90s. It, it's story's a bit complicated, but the uniform, the Army Uniform Code of Justice, was stricter, and it included these methods of psychological torture and sensory deprivation. Whereas the Reagan White House was able to create these exemptions when they signed on to the UN Human Human Rights Charade uh, in the uh, like '88, I think it was. They they uh, they made uh, exemptions. They they carefully worded. The clauses regarding the psycho- the psychological aspects to basically uh, denote it, if you were to, the psychological abuse would, it would be psychological abuse if it was the product of physical abuse, to put it simply. Basically, uh, there is psychological torture, but the psychological the only way you can achieve psychological torture is through protracted physical abuse. Uh, so the, it's, it gets sticky. I mean, all this stuff, the way the United States Empire works is in these gray areas. I mean, this is why they set up, this is what Guantanamo Bay is and why Obama was... Uh, <laughs> he he didn't close it. And it was funny. I remember when that film Zero Dark Thirty came out, which is, again, more of this like 24-esque I've still refused uh, to watch that.
1: It was it's literally uh, produced by the... Uh, Con- like this film content production office at the CIA. They have a, a liaison to you know certain Hollywood studios and they apparently there's been a couple big write-ups on this, and we can link them, but apparently they even participated in a script rewrite to yes. verify accuracy. Yes.
2: It was approved by, by yeah. the script was approved by Langley, Mark Boland, Catherine Bigelows thing it was approved by Langley. And the techniques shown in that film or the techniques we're talking about. And the whole purpose of the film is to vindicate torture. Uh, it, it's to claim that, for A, it reinforces the mythology that Osama bin Laden was killed in Pakistan in 2008 or whenever it was. And by the way, again, Hirsch pops up here. 2011. Hirsch wrote a, sorry, 2011, my bad. Um, Hirsch pops up again there. His, he wrote a big... He, he Whenever these really sensitive things happen, there's always... Uh, the Jew pops up. And in the case of Zero Dark Thirty, I remember Michael Moore wrote a review of this on like a Facebook review, uh, basically praising the fact that a mulatto was able to to torture and to kill, uh, and that that's a sign of great progress. Which, by the way, it is in the mind of the liberal. It is a great it is great progress when you have uh, some mongrel who's uh, now killing and murdering in the same way that the old wasp elite would, I, uh, I guess, God, be proud God, of.
0: Our, our race is going to be called. Uh, we cannot have people like, I mean, he's literally dead weight. I mean, this, this fat slob, you know, is calling for the other to do despicable acts in the name of our society uh, to whose benefit. Uh, I don't know, his camp, uh, their camp, not my camp. And I don't want these people
2: in my team. Um, you know so, you could feed an commentary. entire village of people from Papua New Guinea off Michael Moore for probably a month or more. Yeah, they could do the the
0: dance and the the, the tiki torches and everything. I mean, they would they would be very they celebrate, you know, that discovery,
2: that pile of yeah, f- he, filth. He would yeah. provide great sustenance. Um so to so moving, moving moving on. So uh, Oh, if, if I
0: could make a one quick point about your previous comment about why they may not have done this at Gitmo. Um, I think it was just a logistics thing. I mean, I'm speculating, I don't know this, but given the fact that they were in, like Afghanistan, which was a much smaller operation, but given that they were in an active insurgency zone in Iraq and occupying a much larger population-wise speaking country, they just had a huge volume of people that they had to process. I just
2: mean that, I I understand your point. I just mean that as an example. Uh, More realistically, what they would do is move them to the black sites in Afghanistan or to Bagram. Bagram never got the scrutiny that uh, and the same stuff yeah, went on at yeah, Bagram. Yeah. 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 Why have okay. the
0: army like having people leak stuff? I mean, I I see what you're saying. Yeah.
2: No, and not only that. I mean, logistically speaking, you had people b- being brought in from Afghanistan to Abu Ghraib rather than being taken where they're picked up in Afghanistan. And then you had them being cartoonishly questioned about Iraqi officials. You have some Afghani tribesman who's being asked about, like, the higher— Because these, these fucking American government pigs, they don't know shit. They're just—you show them a deck of playing cards, and you're like, Oh, this is bad guy. you find bad guy. But let me move on here. Uh, my contempt for the average <laughs> <all> American <laughs> soldier got better of me. Uh, okay, so— so what you had after the lessons learned from Phoenix and the sort of hybridization between the, we'll call it no-touch torture to sum up the techniques I described, sensory deprivation and self-harm. Uh, that model was then, we don't know what this was called, but it was Pro- Project X, okay? And that was the packaging this in a way that it could be exported to U.S. client states. So you had uses of uh, and other things that were learned in Phoenix, too, because it's not just the interrogation slash torture techniques, but also just general counterinsurgency techniques that were learned in this. The stuff was all put together in a nice package wrapped up in a bow and sent to the Philippines and Latin America, such as sodium dipenthanol, abduction of family members, and how to organize priority lists for uh, targeted assassinations, exiles, beatings, executions, etc. cetera. And there was one place where this really did backfire, and that is, of course, in Iran, uh, when when Mossad and the CIA created the SAVAK and they used these uh, gave these handbooks out. Uh, this was a, a major reason that the Islamic Revolution happened. And this is a broader point to talk about, which is the political cost of torture, Uh Place you can see it being effective, and it's usually effective when it's employed in mass. Because when you there's no this kind of the Dershowitz imaginary surgical like Kiefer Sutherland type targeted torture. Uh, there's many problems with that. It just above all this is just a simple fact that if you have enough information to know that a given person has certain information, uh, you are you're gonna you you have access in theory if you actually do. Your investigations and your intelligence gathering, you you have the ability to figure things out without even meaning to torture. If you already have that much information, it's not necessary. Uh, the way for torture to be effective as an intelligence gathering tool, it really needs to be deployed in mass. And the place you could see that happen was in uh, the French occupation of Algeria. And it was effective. Uh, they rooted out most of the Algerian, uh, the Algerian resistance in the Casbah, the underground. And people, people watch, by the way, the, I highly recommend the film, The Battle of Algiers. But this created a backlash because you're talking about a nominal, and the same problem was true of the French occupation in Indochina. You have this nominal democracy or liberal Western country. Uh, it doesn't have, when these things come out, you, you end up getting a political sabotage from the French people. And this is part of the reason why the French lost North Africa. Uh, as a military tactic, it was effective. It just has this political consequence. It has political blowback. And this a similar thing happened with the Savak propping up the Shah. Uh, and similar, I mean, the same thing happened in the, the United States. There hasn't really been, none of these liberal countries in the American empire, they don't have the will to actually go full of Genghis Khan. And just say, you know, if you don't like it, we're going to kill you. It's it's they don't have the political infrastructure to do that. That's why the United States and the spooks and the shranks, et cetera, were so interested in the idea of this sanitized approach to extracting both information and compliance from subject populations, uh, because this is just built into the political ethos, the political theology of America is that America is good and that they, they're bringing liberation and the freedoms, et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. If you watch, uh, for example, the, the film Standard Operating Procedure, you'll see, again, that systems speak where the American military and the, the American political elite, they, they just—the language they use is always so sanitized. And, it, and this is—it's just part and parcel, again, of, of the American political theology that it needs that they're bringing liberation they're bringing democracy and freedom they're bringing peace and justice and this kind of thing so they can't they have to stay away from, i mean this is what the simple euphemism i mean what is you have enhanced interrogation interrogation itself is a euphemism for torture i mean that that's what it is it's if, torture, if i
0: may but, possibly show for the use of that word to distinguish from torture Torture, to me, could be also just be used for punishment, not necessarily information. But interrogation does imply that you are seeking information. Now, I understand what you're saying also, but uh, that does Yeah, separate. but I mean, being
2: broadcasting, I mean, there's there's this use in just the actual... Because if you go back and you read the actual CIA handbooks, they're not writing to your average American uh, military type or... Mm-hmm. You know, the public they are they're much more blunt. I mean, <laughs> I can read. I mean, I have a couple of their okay. manuals. I mean, th- this you'll see this. So anyways, to back to the point, Proje- Project X was the form in which they were trying to package the stuff and ship it out. So they shipped it to Iran, they shipped to Latin America and the Philippines. And you had the Project X manuals were basically the adaptation of uh, the previous manual, only with the experiences of Phoenix in mind. So you had their various manuals like the handling of sources, interrogation, uh, combat intel, uh, terror, and the urban guerrilla, this kind of stuff. And the School of the Americas is a very famous thing that grew out of the American export to Latin America. I think people are probably familiar with the School of Americas. It's assassination. United States-run uh, CIA assassination school.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And they teach these techniques. Right? And yeah, but By thing, the way, if,
0: if anybody ever wants to hear – because, you know, we're, we're just guys on the Internet – Basically, you know, we read a lot. We talk to people who are, you know, in slightly more of a position to know things. But if anybody wants to hear from a really good primary source or at least a very good secondary source because she slept with the guy who's basically doing these types of things, uh, check out the videos by Kay Griggs. Um, Her husband, former husband, was basically a U.S. Marine. uh, And I think she mentions the School of Americas. Uh, This was the stuff that, you know, military intelligence was engaged in at the time in the 90s. And or the late 80s, early 90s, uh, and it's very, very dark, very dark. I mean, how they find these kids basically from broken homes, they they basically manipulate them psychologically because they're looking for father figures, and they sort of take on that role as the the sort of agency or military institution, and Then they basically program these guys to go out and, and do their dirty work. And because they're from other countries besides the United States, they're somewhat disposable, and you have that plausible deniability. So it's, it's very... Very nasty, very nasty stuff. And she talks at length about how this was going on.
2: Yeah, another thing I mentioned earlier, which is the the karmic cost of torture, in addition to the political cost of uh, trying to occupy a place and using brutal counterinsurgency techniques, there's something else that happens when you allow widespread torture, and you see this in the Philippines, which is... What torture does to the torturer, it, it, it creates a excessively inflated ego and just de- these delusions of power and grandeur, and especially when you're, like, in the Marcos regime. The, some of the people you're bringing into torture are high-ranking officers, the, the elite of the country, um, artists, academics, what have you. And when you're doing that, when you're taking some, some just military schlub teaching them how to do this stuff and then turning over the the cream of the crop of your people to them it creates in their minds this uh i mean you can you can kind of imagine this right it 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 elevates them and it and it makes them see their own people as this as the enemy of society and how they can manipulate their way up and that they're basically the the top of the food chain and what this led to, in the case of the Philippines, is the insurgency against the Marcos regime was full of these tortures. The uh, R.A.M. movement. It was an organization that was filled with former military torturers. And they, they came out on top in the end, in the, in the 90s. So when you're in charge and you allow these people uh, to lay their fingers on... The the elite of your society and to uh, dominate people in this way with cruelty and uh, sexual uh, abuse and humiliation, uh, you create a cancer in your own ranks that uh, will come to eat you, which is, by the way, when these things happen, when there's a turnover in society like this, you have some kind of revolution or pseudo reform or what have you, uh, the torturers are always the first to go. Uh, if if you can get your hands on them, they're they're some of the biggest targets because people are aware of this. People who who know are aware of this. So, uh, basically, what ends up happening is you know you you've heard of the stuff in Latin America and the Philippines and Iran, and this is a United States torture manuals being exported. And it at the end of the Cold War, uh, there's it's tampered down a bit. And you have the aforementioned UN human rights resolutions and stuff. And there was, you know, swarmy exemptions made by Reagan, et cetera, uh, that laid the groundwork for what came, again, to the surface in the early 2000s at Abu Ghraib. I think that's a good cursory summary. I, I could go on longer, but I feel that I've gone on a little too long bore uh, well, to anyone. Well, you're talking about the standard operating procedures, like what constitutes torture. Is that what you're talking about what Reagan did? Yes, well, he managed to... The Reagan administration, which was a a CIA administration. uh, (laughs) Well, through
0: George Bush, frankly.
2: But, yeah. Yeah, exactly. A CIA administration. (laughs) Right. So, uh, they they managed to create space for the exact style of torture that the CIA is most fond of, because it's the most effective. Uh, Because your average person they're given to think of torture only in the most lurid. As you said earlier, it's like, how is this guy with a bag over his head standing in this way, which is sensory deprivation and uh, self-inflicted harm, mm-hmm. how is that torture? Well, not only is it a torture, it's the most effective kind of torture. <laughs> uh, especially, and, and adding in psychosexual humiliation, which is what mm-hmm. the other photographs reveal, forcing, uh, forcing men to, to masturbate. And <sighs> using, I know, using know. women, shirtless women, uh, rubbing red paint on them and saying it was menstruated blood, uh, cultural uh, forms of humiliation like the use of dogs for Arabs, etc. Uh, this is actually the most precise and effective form of torture. And so if I, if I saw read. these images, they were told, of course, that this was some kind of anomaly, when really it was the capstone of 40 years of experimentation With different techniques of Mm -hmm. of psychological torture that were set in motion by the post-war CIA and the American and Canadian and British uh, the Anglo-American academic establishment and the Jews, of course.
0: So, if if I can read what the I believe was the at least one of the investigators charged with um, investigating or prosecuting this case against the military individuals at the prison conducting some of this illegal activity. Uh, He defined what criminal torture is. Uh, I wrote down three at least. So physically injured, uh, sexual humiliation apparently is uh, considered a crime, Uh, and standing idly by while someone does one of these things, in at least the case of the military, that's dereliction dereliction of duty. Uh, However, the standard operating procedures, which are not considered criminal, are as we've talked about having this guy in a box, you know, it's not really physically harming him, making them get naked, putting panties on their head. It, it's sort of a gray area, but not really that uh, physically harmful. Obviously sleep deprivation is, a, is allowed and any sort of physical discomfort, but not injury is allowed.
2: Yeah. The major techniques that were applied at a, uh... Abu Ghraib, where dietary manipulation, uh, environmental manipulation, and environmental manipulation is really key. It's, it sets the groundwork for the mind. Uh, it, it deprives any sense of control over oneself in relationship to the environment, and it allows the elevating of the torturer to the status of sort of like a, almost a god, because they're the ones in total control of all aspects of reality. Of reality itself mind you because and you have sleep adjustment uh, which they're they're careful not to say sleep deprivation because they'll say things like oh well they have to be allowed four hours of sleep uh, every 24 hour period and you can't do this for more than 72 hours presence of the dogs isolation false flag where you have people who interrogate them who are uh, from a different country or present themselves as being from a different country of the United States mm-hmm. uh, loud music yelling um Uh, deception of various kinds and of course the stress positions. I mean, these were the techniques employed and these are the techniques that were a long time in the making. Uh, If I may, uh, I don't know exactly what you'd call this but
0: um, I I kind of usually sort of just throw it into the broad category of like gang stalking of somebody who's not actually in prison but the typical techniques that I've heard described by people who have at least felt like they're falling victim to this stuff and this is actually part of the trick too is that they, they have these sort of very kind of uh, circumstantial pieces of evidence that they can kind of show to people but then that in and of itself is not that strong and so it makes them look crazy and so they, they start questioning themselves as other people are questioning them and this is a very uh, very nasty way of getting to somebody because yeah. it isolates <laughs> Gas, them gaslighting. Y- yeah uh, and, and so, so examples of this are like if you go into your house you know and like furniture has been rearranged I mean, how do you yeah. sort of explain that to somebody? It's like, well, this guy sounds crazy. Like, I don't know what his living room looks like kind of thing. Or if you yeah. if you see repetition of certain, like, cues or colors or numbers or, or faces or names or things like that, words that pop up. Um, these just sound like, you know, schizo, you know, attributes. Or but it's things. not
2: just that it's, it's deniable. But it could be I mean, real, also... too. You know? that's what well, yeah, but so... these are also profound psychological attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they grew out of MKUltra, Specific the furniture arranging. I mean, that's an environmental control. I mean, to read out of the CIA, I mean, could read out of Kubark. I could read out of the Human Resource Manual from Honduras. Uh, environment from the Kubrick. The, the room in which the interrogation is to be conducted should be free of all distractions. The colors, the walls, ceilings, and rug furniture should not be startling. But then... Uh, more advanced honduras manual. yet the questioning room is the battlefield upon which the questioner and the subject meet however the questioner has the advantage in the as total control over the subject and his environment uh, here's an interesting thing on drugs too people uh i should have stated earlier and clearly that there is no such thing as a truth drug uh, this is a, this is total nonsense doesn't exist in fact what's more effective is the illusion of a drug so you have this is a quote from the Human Resource Honduran Manual. There is no drug which can force every subject to divulge all the information he has. It is possible to create a mistaken belief that a subject has been drugged by using the placebo technique, or from the original Kubark. Just as the threat of pain may be more effectively in, in, induced compliance than its infliction, so an interrogatee's mistaken belief that he has been drugged may make him more useful interrogation subject than were he actually under narcosis.
0: Uh, I thought alcohol
2: makes you slip up. uh, (laughs) uh, I mean, yeah, sure, but it's I mean, there's a lot of things people can slip up and run their mouths, of course, but this is we're talking about an actual Interrogation, giving someone a fifth of whiskey or whatever. <laughs> I mean, that's probably honestly it's more effective in a certain sense. It's, it's more than stringing someone up on a wall. I mean, like to sit down uh, under plausible cover with them and just like buy them drinks. You can. I mean, this is how you can effectively extract information uh, from unwitting subjects. Things sure. change though when people know that they're being interrogated.
0: I mean, that, that's that's like the classic business. Technique too negotiations you get the guy drunk and the Chinese are notorious for doing this. Um, it, it's so I, I have to believe that there are harder drugs out there and maybe what they're sort of saying in this thing is bullshit. But but what technically what he said was you cannot guarantee in all cases that this is going to work. And I of course I mean, but in some cases I would I would put my money on some of this stuff working.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, sodium dipenethyl and like a, and else—they're just not as reliable as the the other techniques described. Well, I'm not, not, not saying
0: they're not, uh, or they are, but uh,
2: they have limited use, and in many cases, the uh, faking their use can actually be more effective.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I guess I, I've summarized most of what I wanted to go over. The main point I wanted to make is that. What you see at Abu Ghraib was, of course, and I, people, I'm sure, suspected this to some extent, but it wasn't some uh, anomaly. It was actually very by-the-book. What's not by-the-book, though, was who was doing it, the use of these low-level MPs uh, and the presence of uh, photographs. Uh, I stated earlier my theories about what might have been going on there. Uh, I suspect that it was... it. it both of these things can be true but i my suspicion is that it was a testing ground of its own and that it was a uh, it was an op um, meant to be leaked uh, those are those are my suspicions uh, take them as you will i wanted to close on a, a few sort of maybe you say philosophical points uh, about torture uh, one thing that Occurs to me when reading critiques that come from the liberal humanist types is was it Hans that said everybody tortures?
1: I think both of us did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's true. I, 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 I shouldn't say everybody tortures. I should say that it's it's been a persistent element of military campaigns and corporal punishment for most of recorded human history.
2: Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about punishment just really briefly. Uh, What I've, I I think anyone who's listened to the program long enough, we did a show a long time back on prisons where I, I state my view of prisons. I'm uh, for total abolition of prisons. I don't, uh, I don't support incarceration as a, I don't, I honestly don't really support punishment per se. I support execution and restitution I Think seem to recall you
0: advocating for flogging.
2: Flogging for the slave classes. Yeah. <laughs> wait yeah, a minute. Well, if you're, wait a minute, what about our criminal managing, elite class? When you're dealing with low, when, let me. When you're dealing with low IQ type people, uh, be they your own underclass or, God forbid, you're having to rule over some colored mass. Uh, yeah, I mean physical. Uh, incentives are necessary because these are people who can't think two days ahead. So there needs to be an immediate and it needs to be immediate too, by the way, it has to, has to happen right away. You'd have to flog them or something of this sort. Uh, but not out of principle, just out of a technique that you need to manage people who are difficult to manage. I don't, I don't believe in punishment for its own sake. I think that the goal of justice is restitution. And that in the case where somebody is proven to have gone well beyond the line of what could be forgiven or reincorporated into civilization, uh, you just kill them. It's very simple. And this has always been something i run into with liberals where they, for some reason, find incarceration to be a humane alternative. They will use that word to execution. And, I mean, incarceration uh, is psychological torture. All these things are present that we talked about. If in a prison, the ultimate punishment once you're already in prison is solitary confinement. Uh, th- th- these are the techniques that are used to psychologically torture people, as well as sexual abuse, which is something that every American uh, signs off on. They'll make you have talk show hosts left and right make comments like, oh, that guy, he's not going to do so well in prison, uh, implying, of course, that he'll be uh, sodomized. Uh the, the American is a really and you saw this in the Milgram experiments, too, which is I think it's I don't know if you can extrapolate this to a universal human quality, but I, I would tend towards believing it to be a, at least a heightened quality in the American creature, which is they didn't uh, it was a 100 percent fail rate when someone not wearing a white lab coat asked them to do this. And as long as Americans have that little distance between themselves and violence that sanctioned that they get the, the, their little uh, sign off on, then they're they're okay with the most grotesque brutalities imaginable. And there was something that came up when I was doing a little bit of reading for this that I just it really struck me. Uh, this is a quote from George Bush after the after the Abu Ghraib uh, incident came to light. And he was forced to apologize on on national television, and this is what he said. Uh, he said, <clears throat> "He this is after he promised to demolish Abu Ghraib, which I think actually never happened. But this is what he said: a symbol of disgr- Abu Ghraib is a symbol of disgraceful conduct by a few American troops who dishonored our country and dishonored our values. And after to be demolished, he he said, um, it would be." demolished and then replaced with, quote, a modern maximum security prison as a fitting symbol of Iraq's new beginning.